will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, functionally equivalent to 85% of your recommended daily allowance of hippo semen, but in purely auditory form, Yay. which is crunchier. Joining me this evening, we have Dave, evil, an evil central computer from a sci-fi dystopia, Emeritus. Good evening. There's Lucy Boys, who is standing for political office on a platform of mandatory national service for all dogs. They will wiggle for you. They will. Even the little handbag fuckers. And I, as ever, am Roger. Apprentice dangle re-angler and all-round good egg. If you would like us fine, fine people to answer your questions, send them to wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com. You can also find us on the Twitter as wewillfixyou, with the little at sign at the front, the curly one. And the Book of Faces has us to wewillfixyou at Facebook. Today's question, and it is long, is about identity. So, I have an identity issue, our questioner writes. Sadly, I don't know who I am anymore or who I should be. I grew up in a country that has little in common with Britain. At age 24, when my mind, values of life and view on the world were pretty much set, and the ability to learn a new language was gone, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to study in the UK. Before I arrived, I had the impression of Great Britain from the films I had watched in China. They all show how civilised and culturally rich that Britain was, what great manners the ladies and gentlemen in that country had. I landed in the UK in a city in the north in the year 2000. Then culture shock. I was first introduced to The Sun, including page three, and EastEnders when I asked locals how I could learn a bit more about the culture and the language. But I soon recovered from that, thought every country has its own issues and problems, it, it shouldn't affect the overall beauty. And then sometimes I met random British people in shops and was often asked, oh, you're from China, do you have washing machines in your country? Yes, China's quite modern now, we pretty much have everything that Western countries have. Oh, young lady, you can't fool me, we have TVs and we watch the news, we know what's going on in your country. Well, I, I thought I knew this country too, but it turned out very differently. I guess things have moved on since, that was 15 years ago, in a small city in the northeast of England. Although just last year I took a colleague back to China for a business trip, and despite being shocked how modern and nice China was, he managed to find the spotlights of his first trip that he didn't like. Toilets, food he didn't care for, dirt on the floor and then presented this to a whole work department very pleased with himself. That's not great, is it? No, that's bellendery. You would probably guess I'm diehard Chinese. Well, if it's that simple, I would probably be quite happy. In Chinese people's eyes, I'm not Chinese anymore. I've lived in this country for too long. Each time I went back to China, my friends would tell me how out of date I was, that I couldn't speak Chinese properly. So many terms I've learned in English in the first place, I simply don't know the Chinese words. So many new terms in Chinese I've never heard of. I talk awkwardly, I behave awkwardly, I dress awkwardly in China. I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. Each time I go back, things have moved or changed. Highways, new areas, new rules, it's too much. Basically, in China I am too English, in the UK I am too Chinese. 
I call myself the edge people. I can't fit in anywhere. I don't belong anywhere. Although I've tried hard to fit in. And it hasn't always worked. I've often ended up looking really stupid. I'm this obscured, absurd person picking the wrong time to leave my mother country. I was even quite pleased with myself at the time. Now, China is out of the question, too expensive, too demanding. Settling in the UK is still a very bumpy journey. I honestly don't know how I survived the past few years. I guess my biggest weapon is putting a big smile on and pretending nothing has happened. I guess nobody can fix this issue. But writing it down has been very therapeutic. Our anonymous questioner. Oh boy. Golly. I think that's one of the more personal things we've, mm. we've had on the show. And powerful. It's very nice that the questioner trusted with this whilst also presumably being aware of us on the show. Well, I, 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 I can only assume they have listened before. Mm. Gosh, though. Yes. No, it's a hard one. Ms. Boyce? So, I guess I'm coming at this sort of, and forgive me if this is glib to begin with, I do try and be actually helpful later, but I'm coming at this, I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who has often felt completely out of step with their own culture, which is not the same problem as starting off somewhere, moving somewhere else, and finding it difficult to kind of interact again between the two. But I mean, you know, I grew up a sort of weird and bookish child, reading a lot of Victorian children's fiction in it place that was very modern and very normative and everybody else was into sports and exactly what was on the TV at that moment and I had all these kind of weird old concepts like honour and etiquette and stuff in my head that nobody around me gave a shit about at all and it was very weird to find that my interpretation of the world was just nothing like that of the people around me. And I think there is to some extent kind of inherent trauma in being out of step with the world around you. There is kind of violence towards you whether that's in terms of thought or speech or ideas or even actual violence, there's this sort of belittling and humiliation element. You just get othered all the time and that kind of grates on you. So I mean, now as an adult, I find myself in a world where many of the things that my fellow people do, like eating dead stuff, voting conservative, choosing to procreate, basically deeply morally appalling, but they're all things that would have a high level of mainstream acceptance. And I kind of feel sometimes like I'm sort of so far through the looking glass that I find it very hard to tell what is real or not, to kind of believe my own convictions. It gets increasingly hard to kind of nod and smile while they talk about doing these dreadful things and I'm just supposed to totally agree with them because society's decided that that is what is normal even though it seems totally abnormal to me. So I guess what I'm saying is I sort of feel where you're coming from even though we don't have the exact same route there. I think fundamentally you need to understand that you have the right to take up space and be who you are without apologizing for it, which is a lot harder than it sounds. I think a lot about kind of the concept of the default person, like the person who finds the world as it is basically satisfying and receptive and nourishing to their needs and these people do exist you see them around the place they terrify me yes no it's, it's very very strange if that's not what you've had but um my theory on this is basically that those people get a double bonus in life not only do they get their needs broadly met by the culture they find themselves in but also because this happens they don't experience that kind of jarring sense of not being welcome or in the right place when they're just trying to live their normal life and this is also the thing that makes it really hard for privileged people to see systematic oppression. Mm. It's so much harder to believe that it's real if it's not directly happening to you or to the people around you. And then on the other hand, you get the people who don't naturally slot into the life that hand has dealt them. They kind of get a double fuck over instead of a double bonus. You get both the experience and the friction of that mismatch and also the impossible to forget knowledge that the world is fundamentally unfair. And most of the people who are benefiting from that don't want to know and don't want to care. 
which is where the despair sets in, which kind of feels like maybe where you're at. So I think my sort of way of dealing with this is remembering that it is not your job to continue to make life frictionless for those lucky people. It is okay if being who you are makes them feel uncomfortable, if they're challenged by aspects of the way you present yourself, whether that's language skills, appearance, disposition, the way you come across, all of that stuff. I think a trap that people fall into all the time is how compelling it feels to tell members of minority groups that the best way to get along is by twisting themselves into the shape that society demands of them. Um, and that sucks, and it's not true. And I also believe that the more sort of non-conformative people and lives that those default people encounter, the more likely they are to have their minds kind of slowly expanded. So actually, rather than trying to desperately fit in, being who you are can be a radical act that has the potential to change people. But at the same time, you've got to realise it's also fucking exhausting. It might pose personal risk to you, and it's also okay to choose to do it selectively when you have the energy to. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, be a nasty woman, be an imperfect speaker of English, be someone who is obviously culturally different. That is okay to be, and if anyone has a problem with it, that is categorically their problem and not yours. And whilst it is not on you to educate them, you also don't have to smush yourself down so that life continues to be extremely smooth for them. I think that doesn't kind of handle all of it there. That sort of helps with the self-presentation aspects, but I think it's also useful to immerse yourself in culture and media made by people who are having an experience that is more similar to yours. So in the broader sense, you can find plenty of sort of art writing, human experiences of loneliness and isolation. It's a driving reason why people make things and share them with other people. You're not the only other person who's ever felt like this and sort of absorbing more stories that feel like they're coming from a similar place to you, even if it's not the same is much sort of a way of kind of balancing out the prevailing social culture and media that is telling you that you have got to be specifically different to the way you feel in order to be acceptable. I think kind of with your sort of specific problem, you could also look for media or personal experiences with similar cultural issues. There's a lot of kind of first generation immigrant experiences out there, especially kind of Asian people who've come to America or who were born to parents who came to America trying to navigate between those two cultures, never feeling fully part of either of those. If that kind of thing uh, resonates with you, Nicole Chung, who used to write for The Toast, has a really good series of essays about growing up, sort of obviously ethnically Korean, but adopted by white people in middle America. There's also a really good comic, again on The Toast, by Xing Yin Kuo about the Yellow Power Ranger and how that was sort of a symbol to her of Asian experience, but equally comes with a bunch of loaded cultural baggage. There's also the comic American Born Chinese by Jean Lun Yang, um, which again similarly covers the covers the same sort of thing for a sort of young adult type of audience. Mm-hmm. Something I found helpful recently also is reading about historical oppression. So reading about things like the civil rights movement in America, it makes it a lot easier by sort of framing it all in the past, although it's not obviously to kind of pick out how the societal and systemic oppression stuff works, you know, the sort of denying inherent humanity of certain groups of people, polite received impressions of how society is supposed to work that seem completely inhumane now. Right, like here today, progress feels incredibly slow, but if I look at the shit that people believed 50 or 60 years ago, it actually makes you feel like there is some hope, Um, as well as being helpful with sort of pointing out how sort of mass society contributes to oppression of minorities. I think finally, if you want to sort of connect more in person with other people, it's probably worth focusing not necessarily on sort of immigrant issues specifically, but anywhere where you can sort of do kind of 
allyship for other minority groups or kind of intersectional issues. So maybe support groups or specific hobbies, cultural groups, people who are working with recent immigrants from your country or from any country. If it's a group that's specifically for women or for people who've sort of broadly been marginalised, nerd culture is another one. I mean, it has its own set of horrible politics and problems, but broadly they are... You will find people there who know what it is like to not feel normal and to feel sort of the joy of finding their people. You know, you still have a chance of encountering horrible people and toxic attitudes, but you are slightly more likely to meet other people who also feel different, and that can be reaffirming. So yeah, that's my advice. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot there on on the experience. I so I'm middle-class white man. I don't have any sort of any kind of immigrant or cultural transition experience to draw on that's directly comparable. But like Miss Boys, I've got a couple of little things mm. in a similar, smaller things in a similar ballpark to kind of claw at. Um, and one of the things I think is interesting about this this week's sort of question is a bit, some of it is about the difficulty of that whole thing of you can never go home. Mm. Not quite okay here, not quite okay there. Um, there's a tiny, tiny microcosm which is uh, like queer adolescent experience. Mm-hmm. So. Which, which is, is wildly different to being... It's one of the few types of marginalised or minority experience you have that you're not safe from when you go home. Mm. There's a sort of thing of... Like, it, you have to proactively find a community of similarity. There's no sort of default safe space. So there's, there's a constant sort of liminality and evasion. And you, you get forced to build your own home, essentially. Yeah. But it's, again, it's, it's, it's not really comparable, but most of the advice that exists around that from other people is broadly in the vein, you don't have to apologise to anyone and eventually you'll make your peace with it, which is basically just another way of saying it sucks, but you'll either get used to it or the slow ratchet of progress will make it less worse to get used to. Mm. Which is the despair will numb you to it in yes. the end. Which is sort of the crummy pragmatic answer here. When I was a kid, I, I grew up quite poor, basically. I, I say basically, there are massive caveats here. My folks were sort of, I don't know what, aspirant lower middle class that ended up like dirt broke, made redundant in the 80s crash, living in social housing. I grew up in... I, I, early years of my childhood were sort of, yeah, hand-to-mouth poor in social housing. And things turned around for us a bit. And eventually, scholarships and what have you, I ended up going to private school. And so had this slightly sort of neither one thing nor the other experience for a few years, which was my background nominally looked very northern working class, but wasn't quite because my focus didn't quite integrate into it. And then I would go to school and hang out with all of these sort of nouveau riche and posh kids. And now you open your mouth and it sounds like this. I sound like this, yeah. Um, Poster child for the bad kind of performative normalisation. I mean, neither of us has the accent that we would have had if we hadn't chosen to change it at some point. But, you know, I was... All three, hey? Three yeah, for three? Three for three. So, yeah, I was too posh for a Darlington Council estate and too Darlington Council estate for posh school. Um, it, it's a tiny micro-example, but you definitely have this thing of something feels not quite right in either space. Mm. And... I never took an active solution to this because I experienced it as a child and so I just internalised all the normalising pressures. And now I sound like a Harry Potter audiobook. You just, you just feel wrong all the time, like no yeah. matter how 
good you end up being compared to what society mm. cares about you just still feel like you are inherently wrong and so I don't really have an answer other than kind of vague sympathy and a sort of thing like with the queer experience like the sort of class transition experience there's that whole it gets better narrative there's that big wait for wait for everything to change wait for the world to become more progressive which sort of presupposes that you're strong enough to wait and that it's not horrible and mm. our identities shouldn't have to be a constant fight just living shouldn't have to be political and when it is inevitably and you don't want that you don't feel strong enough for it, it it's crushing and I don't have a I don't have a sensible answer mm. but this is we will fix you and I'm not required to so I would like to talk a little bit about liminality um, which is this thing of being kind of neither one thing nor the other it's from a Latin word to do with being on the threshold so for example newts are liminal being amphibians they sort of are at the margins of being on land or in water or can exist in either and they're kind of funny looking platypus is a liminal creature all these things all of these things are it can make its own custard it if can it chooses it's the to. only animal that can make its own custard it doesn't have a whisk That's surely not... one of the flap like the flappy bits on the side will evolve to become a whisk at some point. I believe this is how evolution works. Well, two platypi could get together and whirl intersecting tails. It could be collaborative custard. Fucking socialist custard animals. Yes. We're going to have to hunt them down with a rifle. So the socialist custard animal is also liminal. Both both platypi and, and newts have been seen by various cultures as mystical. Mm-hmm. Liminal things are have historically seen by various cultures as having mystical properties. I mean, it helps that you also see news as mystical. I do. Uh, likewise, many sort of monsters in mythology are liminal, centaurs, chimera. Um, there's the uh, sort of subcontinent Indian sort of third gender thing, the um, Shira, Hira? I, I can never remember how you pronounce that. The sort of, uh, what is now recognised as sort of, as, as effectively a kind of transgender or intersex movement, but for a, while, for a while was a sort of notional sort of third gender thing that again got seen as part of um, sort of mystic religion and kind of syncretic mysticism. And liminal scenarios were often seen as giving mystical power. So the 14th century anchorite Julian of Norwich, this is, uh, was a British medieval nun, had a near-death experience and then became a mystic. I think 14th century monastic opera. Like, mm. she would basically give really cliched, inspirational life advice to people. Everyone's getting a sermon. Pretty much, yeah. Julian Norwich was part of a, a bold, a proud tradition of medieval mystic nuns that, amongst other things, used to basically write Jesus slash fiction, but we're not, we're not going there today. Marjorie Kemp was another um, medieval mystic who effectively, if you kind of read her sort of books and histories, managed to parlay the visions she had during postnatal depression into kind of a charismatic preaching personality cult. Liminality has conferred power on people throughout history, particularly through religious experience. And we live in a golden age of religious charismatics being able to fucking milk it. So whilst you, you may not be able to deal with the kind of inherent identity tensions, I think you might be able to soften the blow by fucking milking it for a fast buck. Basically, what you need to do is parlay this liminal scent status, the anxiety, the cross-cultural insight it potentially gives you, into becoming a fraudulent televangelist. Well, I mean, everyone knows the key secret to being happy is having a lot more money than you need. Well, quite. And so I think what we could do is some syncretic mythology. There's some kind of... 
weird Sino-British lash-up of cross-cultural bollocks. It'll be really patronising, really appropriative, but middle-class people love that shit. You'll be, it'll be great. So you need to take the sort of... Your question was very fluent and very personally passionate, and I think this could be a fantastic springboard to effectively charismatic preaching. So what I want you to do is kind of read up on the prosperity gospel and some of that kind of um, God-wants-you-to-be-rich-style bollocks. A little bit of Eastern mysticism, a little bit of Western mysticism. I would really suggest the mystical anchorite tradition of the late 1300s. These were... So that's your answer to everything. Medieval nuns. It's time. It's time for the medieval nuns to bring it back. Plus they had these funky outfits and these powerful personal journeys. You could write one of those kind of misery porn memoirs. But yeah, what I, what I think you need to do is take this kind of platform of liminal experience and... Um, and use its eeriness to sort of offset or alarm people to seem a little bit unusual. Use your personal power and charisma and preach a prosperity gospel. Maybe start on local radio. The entire televangelist movement started in the 1920s with radio. Also, um, local radio will put fucking anything yeah, on. Yeah, they will. They're so totally starved for content. Samuel Parks Cardman, Amy McPherson, basically the kind of early American 20th century um, radio charismatics that then got TV shows. Well, they died, but the later generation got... TV shows. So yes, use mega use, mega, mega churches. Yeah. Use your liminal power to found a mega church and get filthy rich. So weird. That is definitely one solution. What would you suggest? So I too grew up in a country that the majority of English people find foreign and terrifying because I am from Northern Ireland. While I can easily pass for English now. And also, I'm white and male, so no one gives a shit what I do, regardless. Um, when I was a child, I was a small child with the only foreign accent in my school, from the place that at the time was largely known as where bombs come from, and reliably sent to school by my loving parents in, of all things, a fucking balaclava. So children, especially young children, are the arbiters of what is different and strange. They have no compunction about calling this out, no social niceties. They will just say when something is different or outside of their experience. And because of this, I was, you know, made to feel different at a very, very young age. And, and a lot of that stuck. And despite the fact that I could very easily pass for an English person all of the time. I mean, I'm not about to start fucking Morris dancing, but there is no way that if you didn't know me, you wouldn't know I wasn't from here. I still feel different and I still feel out of place a lot of the time. And that's in part down to that the childhood experience and partly it's down to being raised slightly differently, being raised in a Protestant-influenced sense, let's say. So that's England, back in, back in Ireland. I don't really recognise the country, I don't go there very often, and... You don't sound like them anymore? No, and for a lot of people there I have, I have uh, an accent that is that of the enemy. Much less so than, than before, but still a fair bit. So, I, I don't feel at home necessarily in either place. He says to be one of us, but he speaks with Cromwell's tongue. Yes, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, the old hammer there. Yeah. The way I deal with this is largely by ignoring it, and, and granted, it's nowhere near as, as, as strong light. The main difference is we had slightly different food, and the, the TV programs were on at a slightly different time for around the first five years of my life. That's about the only cultural difference. But what I want to know is what sort of, what sort of by not fully appreciating or understanding 
English culture or Chinese culture in as much as anyone can because you are only ever going to be dealing with a small snapshot of it. What, what do you feel that you're missing out on? Because I can guarantee that around 70% of British culture is just quotes from the office. It's, it's not very good. It's hot, salty garbage. It, I mean, to be honest, I feel like you've, with, with sort of the anecdote about meeting people in shops and your time in the North, I mean, 80% of British culture is just... Chips and tits. And bad racist jokes. So you already experienced most of it. If you want to get up to speed, watch some carry-on films. That's largely where the national character has come from and stayed. Coming from there, cultivate a sense of right attachment. That can help. As long as you don't say everything that you're thinking, it probably shouldn't stop you from, you know, having friends. Um, you mentioned being confused by new infrastructure in China, going back and the roads being different. Stay in Britain, that will never happen. No one builds anything here anymore. We don't want new roads, we want the old ones with like 78% more traffic on them. We don't want new roads, we want the old cart tracks that have been ground into the grass and soil. By the bones of our forefathers, who were also shit. But being separate from culture as well gives you the opportunity to cultivate and own your own weirdness rather than choosing from the same subset as everyone else. There is an awful tendency for people here to describe themselves as random or wacky. Ugh. Which is to say that they will occasionally say a bad word or they might have one drink at lunchtime and they believe this makes them a character. Don't be like those people. You don't have to be like those people. You get to be something else and that's great. You can have an actual personality if you want one. Yeah. I think there's an interesting, if lazy, moral here in that we're all sort of... I mean, we're all in presentation and performative terms. We're all white is what I'm saying. Yep. We all look like we ought to fit in here and we pretty much all deeply feel that we don't. So it's, you know, there is some universality to this experience. It's, it's useful to remember that other people may all... It's also a lot easier to assume other people feel like they're fitting in a lot better than they actually feel because this isn't really anything we all talk about because we all want to make it seem like we fit in in the first place. It's the same as, like, as imposter syndrome. Mm. The idea that everyone else knows what they're doing in a way that you do not. It's not necessarily the case at all. Almost certainly not. Most people don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. And those people that, that do fit in, those people who abidingly belong, it's just office quotes and still lucasade. That's all they've got. It's not a better it's life. It's not a life. No. It's no life at all. Overcooked vegetables and jokes about tits. Bad steak. Top gear. <sighs> this fucking country. I think that's thoroughly fixed everything, from British culture through to identity crises. It's all an absolute festering swamp. We shan't promise to drain it. No, no. No. But perhaps, perhaps we can dig a few channels. If you would like to help, if you would like us to pipe some knowledge through the sluices of the engineering of the mind, you can contact us at we will fix you show at gmail.com. We're going to need some help from the Dutch, though. It's quite hard engineering-wise. We are not competent engineers. 
goodbye.